I think I have a Costco membership and I've never been there. Everybody says it's like really the best, but I don't understand how. Isn't it just the same as like a Sam's Club or something? Yeah, it's probably cooler than that, but that's a pretty low bar. Sam's is pretty great, though. I mean, you get to go in and eat all the samples. That was like my Sunday dinner as a kid. And it would be like sample day and it'd be like, all right, here's your midday meal, kids. Eat up. And you would just hound every every poor lady with like the little pizza bagels. They, they don't care. They don't care how much of that stuff they're they're giving out. Sometimes they did. I remember really specifically like kind of getting a few enemies. Because it was just like... <laughs> Three wild little boys running around a, a huge like Walmart super center, spanging for like uh, pizza rolls and shit. <laughs> After a while, they're like, "I've seen you here three times," and I was like, "What are you, the, the fucking pizza roll police lady?" Right? Are they are they taking it out of your pay? <laughs> I'm clearly here because I want the rolls. I'm interested in your product, <laughs> ma'am. Yes, I know that I'm nine. Yeah, I just I just need to make sure though. Three wasn't <laughs> enough. I need at least four or five to be able to actually make an informed consumer choice. As a representative of my dad, I'm a rational actor <laughs> in the market. You were a tastemaker. I'm a social media influencer, and I've yeah, got to go. Yeah, you're an influencer. <laughs> I need to I need to go back to the playground on Monday, and if I can't tell them for sure that your baked bean like roll up things are better, you know, where where's your brand gonna be? Oh man, did you guys did you guys ever eat kid cuisine growing up? Did you ever get those? It was oh, like those a, like microwave dinners for kids yeah, it was like whatever. a hungry man dinner except for little kids. So they had the I always wanted them, but my mom would never buy them. I was really bummed. Oh, they were garbage. They just made them look so delicious. You know, you get that brownie in there. Their mascots were like a polar bear and a penguin for some oh, reason. Uh, yeah. yeah, I remember. Yeah. Them. I always wanted them too. That was definitely like a no go. They, they were extremely bad. You guys actually didn't miss out on that much. <laughs> Welcome back to the Liquid Flannel Podcast from Arlington, Texas. I am Matthew Hodges, joined by uh, our northernmost correspondent and my compatriot and co-host on the show brendan williams in omaha hey brendan yeah i would just like to announce uh that i have never worn blackface and i refuse to resign (laughs) that's the way to do it nailed it i mean that's that's better than i have worn blackface and i refuse to resign (laughs) that's why i said it all right i just i just want you guys to know i just put it out there getting ahead of the curve (laughs) they tried to extort me but uh, you know i wouldn't let them because i'm putting it all out there for them well joining us once again to talk about that and many other things i'm sure is our friend from kansas city missouri mac Mac from uh, Left Pod. What's up, buddy? Uh, hey, how you doing? How is everything, uh, Flannel Gang? Flannel yeah, gang. it's flannel. flannel I gang. had to uh, put my flannel back on because, as I said, it got really cold last night. We're flanneling it out here. Um, <laughs> welcome back. Couldn't stay away. No, I. Uh, this is the fastest I've ever been invited back anywhere in my whole life. Yeah, well, it was for Valentine's Day. You know, we wanted to make it special. Right. Uh, you, you can't see it, but uh, both of us are making the ooh-woo face. Right now, <laughs> on the Skype channel, I, I have set up a table uh, with a candelabra, uh, a bouquet of roses, and I'm about to just dig into some uh, pasta parmesan. I don't know what you guys got going on. So, you know, the drawbacks of Skype dating. 
Are you doing it up for Valentine's Day this year, Brendan? Um, yeah, it probably not. Not to commit you like in public to doing a thing in yeah. case you haven't decided yet, but <laughs> I like to do a thing like adjacent to that day. You know, not like on that day or even, you know, the weekend of that day, but you know, I'm just around that time I feel like is is sure. better. It's just it's a it's a really it's a stupid day. Anybody who actually goes somewhere like actually on Valentine's Day has to be having a, a horrible experience because everywhere's like super packed and like tacky and stuff like that, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, when I when I worked at TGI Fridays, the number of people who would come in to TGI Fridays on Valentine's Day, this is like our fancy meal. And the place is just, it's packed and miserable and everybody's running around like sweating because there are so many people in there. Like, it's not a romantic dining experience. Oh, no, it's... I've worked plenty of Valentine's days and uh, it's always, it's always hell on earth. You're constantly running. Like you can never keep up. Like every restaurant you work in, unless you're just like super fine dining, just becomes like a turn and burn. Everything is Buffalo Wild Wings yeah. on Valentine's Day for service staff. And it reflects on the floor. For our romantic date on the special day, you know, one day a year where the romance comes out, like I want to serve you the food that's done by the most overworked stressed out people on the planet that is the romance that i promise yeah your your server's shirt just covered in wine that they've nervously spilled on themselves and like panting at the table like you just you want some more uh yeah potatoes i love potato there's just a line of people saying like hey i'm gonna propose tonight and they're like oh jesus oh my god (laughs) look baby i said in our vows that that i would serve you stuffed potato skins at least once a year every year (laughs) it just it doesn't work i buried a ring in your trout almondine baby Well, before we before we talk too much about the day of love and romance, there there were a couple of things I think uh, our our listeners expect us to talk at least a little bit of news. So, Mac, did you watch the State of the Union or did you opt out like almost everybody did? I opted out. I knew it was yeah. going to happen. Higher ratings than the previous year, you guys. He's on an upward trajectory. I don't know if you saw. <laughs> yeah. Like I was like, what's this saggy old piece of shit going to say? And I was like, oh, I already know. It's just going to be uh, racism, austerity, uh, more racism. And then he's going to like lose track of himself and then uh, bring up racism again, even though he's supposed to be talking about something else. I was like, well, all right, I got it. <laughs> you said beforehand that uh, you thought the, the whole speech was, it was probably like a 45-minute speech delivered over something like two hours. The whole process of doing the State of the Union is... You would think like Trump would be good at doing this thing where he just gets all this pomp and circumstance, you know, like everybody is there. They have to pay attention to him that he would capitalize on this moment and as his one skill, right, to just be like, be good on camera, be engaging and and entertaining to watch. He can be charismatic. Yeah. The speech was it was horribly delivered. It sounded like it was punched up by Mike Pence. (laughs) You know, he was just out there saying like, oh, and of course, you know, all of our rights are given by God and stuff. And you're like, who who even are you? Like, what are you even talking about? He used the word lodestar like 16 times. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I kind of flipped back and forth on it, mostly because I was just surprised that it just kept going because he would say like three stuttering words 
And then, you know, all the Republicans would just like stand up, you know, a full 45 second standing ovation. Yeah, sure. Uh, and then, you know, sit back down and he'd be like, and, you know, also we're going to build a wall. And then they would just do it again. And it's like, why is anyone subjecting themselves to this? It's horrible. They could just stay on their feet and clap the entire time. They could just stand there and clap until their hands are bleeding. At times, it's like they, they didn't, wouldn't even care what he said. <laughs> it would make no sense that they were just getting up and applauding. Um, when he was just saying the most milk toast things. What's been really striking to me about it is that I haven't really heard anybody say anything about the substance of the speech. Like, even the pundit class, even the Jack Posobiec's and Jacob Wall type people aren't talking about anything that Trump actually said during the speech. Like, completely forgettable address. I don't know. I feel like this happened to Obama, too, like two years in, uh, or when he gave his State of the Union his, like, second or a third year, just like no one cared. They were like, oh, he looks tired, I guess. He does not have any new material like that. And he can't really have new material because he's he's Trump. The big thing about the speech was they were saying that he was going to try to appeal to like bipartisanship. But you could tell as he was delivering it, he didn't believe his own bullshit. Like you could tell when he believes his own bullshit and he didn't believe his own bullshit for one second yeah. during that speech. It was just kind of sad. Hey, actually. but you know who did believe his bullshit was uh, everybody's yes slay queen, uh, <laughs> Nancy Pelosi, became a meme for clapping in a way that everybody thought was sarcastic and condescending. And then she went on, it went on media repeatedly and was like, no, I was 100% sincere. Like, I, I do agree with the president on this issue. Yeah, uh, one of the funniest sort of, like, Twitter backfire moments ever. Like, like I saw the gifts and I was like, oh, shit, it's time for BuzzFeed to fire up the engines. They gotta, they gotta right. pay those advertisers. And then just within hours, she was like, no, I loved it. It's great. <laughs> They're like, do you remember what so he was funny. saying? Uh, no, I just thought he's, I love it. <laughs> she is being praised for 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 so, for so little i mean it, it's so easy yeah we got more you know <laughs> that was actually one of the best parts of the speech where trump was like and thanks to me you know record numbers of women you know serving in government like you're welcome everyone <laughs> which was a pretty great line and all the democrats stood up and immediately started applauding and literally chanting usa usa that's how right. easy it is to stand up to Trump is that you could just be like, oh, Trump, that was really stupid. And then everyone's like that the bravery <laughs> of, you know, Nancy Pelosi, the fortitude to stand up and be like, Trump is really dumb. I can't. Yeah, I just can't <laughs> believe it. Yeah, that that moment I saw a clip of it and I was like, I never want to hear anything about North Korea or cults of personality ever again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That all he had to do was say something that was factually <laughs> wrong. There's a bunch of ground organizers and like things like appealing candidates with policy ideas that got those women in. But him like taking credit for it and then being like, yeah, good job, USA. I'm going to chant USA in our house of government like a goddamn college football game. <laughs> yeah, it was beautiful. We decide who gets food and who does not. Uh, we decide who gets bombed and who does not here in this room. How about we turn it into a tailgate? Immediately? <laughs> I, I think that was one of those moments where I think like one of my eyes just like filled with blood. There was a, a quote that came out today 
about uh, the Green New Deal and how these uh, high-profile Democrats are all throwing in behind the Green New Deal. And Nancy's take on it is, uh, yeah, whatever that thing is, the the Green Dream or whatever they call it. Like, yeah, I mean, it it sounds nice, but it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Did she call it the Green Dream? Almost exactly the the verbatim quote was. What do they call it? The Green Dream or something like that? Okay, never mind. I'm I'm on her side now. That rules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just like, what do you call it? Is it the mean green machine? I don't know. I don't care. Yeah. That, that actually kind of rules. You know, she's not wrong because she knows they'll get some Democrats to sign on it for sure. But like, will they get every Democrat to sign on it? <laughs> Hell to the no. You know that's not going to happen. Okay, but... And so... You know she's not going to make it a priority, and so she can easily dismiss it. But I think the funniest part, though, is that, you know, when it was an idea, it was great. It was very easy for people to jump on board to it. But now that it's actually pen to paper where they've, like, actually written down, like, what the Green New Deal is, um, Democrats will just nitpick it apart and just find any excuse to just not sign on to it just so that they don't have to deal with it. And, you know, risk ever, you know, having a Republican make fun of them for believing in climate change or something like that. You're absolutely right. And we've talked about it on the show before about how this is a fundamental weakness of the way that the Democrats do politics, which is what they should do is everybody should sign on to the most ambitious Green New Deal proposal, like all right. of the legislation that there's going to, you know, uh, I think AOC was calling for retrofitting like every single building in America uh, to be more uh, like energy efficient, which some conservative commentators were like, what, that that's like, you know, 20,000 homes and buildings per week for the next 10 years. And uh, some astute observers were like, yeah, think of how many fucking jobs that would create. Like, if, if the Democrats actually did the incredibly progressive legislation, then they could just pin anybody who didn't get on board as being, you know, against progress. And the irony of any Republican being against like, oh, what, you want to like put solar panels on everyone's roof in the country? Like, that's crazy. All I want to do is build a 2,000 mile wall across the <laughs> right. southern border, you know, in the middle of the most inhospitable desert, you know, on the continent. Let's stick to realism in our proposals, please. <laughs> We're going to end up with solar panels on the wall, and that's going to be the, the bipartisan compromise. <laughs> you know, I'm ready for it. You know, if that's what it takes, we know the wall's not going to do anything anyway. If it's got solar panels on it, you know, <laughs> at, least it's, at least it's doing something. At least it's something. providing you... some value for the taxpayer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, that, I mean, that is a good point. Like the proposition of the wall against the Green New Deal, because it's like they're essentially like, proposing like laputa they're like let's build a flying city for the whites <laughs> and like and the green new deal is like here's a lot of uh, concrete uh ideas about infrastructure and agriculture and they're like actually we'll put a man on the moon with a slingshot <laughs> they're just like <laughs> all like extremely like 1800s it's like the french it's like the old silent movie where they go to the moon that's like my envisioning of the wall it's like the <laughs> It's like someone's guy put a ladder up to the sky. That one with the the hideous shot of the moon with like the rocket ship stuck in his eye. Is that the one you're talking about? Oh yeah, that's like that that like George Millet. Uh, oh my movie. god! Yeah, oh, that's horrifying. So they used to show that on TV and, and as a kid, and yeah, that would scare the shit out of me because it was so creepy. <laughs> Trump probably thinks that's like a documentary <laughs> for sure. I, I'm sure he watched it growing up. So 
AOC is talking about bringing back trains like to an extent where uh, air travel could be dramatically re- reduced, which is just that's smart. And people are talking about these like business class people saying like, like, I would much rather spend two hours in an airport than like 15 hours on a train trying to get from like L.A. to New York. I saw somebody propose and I think it's a good idea, actually, bringing back airship travel, Zeppelins. Uh, and then your trip from L.A. to New York might take like two and a half days or something. But it would be this nice leisurely, like stately cruise across the country. No, that's a great idea. Well, yeah. Why don't cruise ships just do that like New York, L.A., you know, transit? <laughs> right. <laughs> just, it's like a commuter cruise ship. I'm for anything that encourages sky piracy. <laughs> as long as like children in the uh, outskirts of Chicago or whatever, building their own hot air balloons to go rob the rich hot air balloons. Hell that's, yeah. That's for me. That's the world I was promised. Dig this. This is the perfect transition to one of the the main reasons we had Mac on the show tonight was uh, we're going to do a little Valentine's Day thing. And since we're already in the realm of sci-fi, why don't we take a break and come back and talk about some uh, sci-fi and love. Stay tuned for our in-depth analysis of Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) That that movie was dope. I don't care what anybody says. So in this time of romance, our annual tradition of romantic episode. No, I, I don't even know that we acknowledged Valentine's Day in previous yeah, episodes of the show. This is going to be like our, our third Valentine's Day, and I don't think we've ever even mentioned it on the show. <laughs> but we thought it would be fun to look back at some romantic films with a sci-fi twist. <laughs> Wait, are we looking at romantic films through a lens of sci-fi? No, I, I think we're we're looking at sci-fi films through a romantic twist. Well, why not both? Okay, yeah. Well, we we, we could find out. You were telling us about the the debacle in in making Alien Three, which I think is one that people don't really think of as being a love story. You know, I don't think Alien One is a love story, but as the as the alien character developed and became more sensual <laughs> uh, throughout the series. Uh, reaching its climax in uh, Alien Resurrection, where there is actually a sex scene between Sigourney Weaver and an alien. Oh my god, you're right. Um, which produces a, a human-alien hybrid baby. Yeah. Um, which is well, kind extremely of. creepy. It's, it, that's, that's not exactly it. It's She has met the, the new alien hybrid that had Ripley DNA built into it, and they have... A very tender moment. I don't disagree that it's a love scene, but. Oh, man, that part really slipped my mind. Oh, man, the alien is giving live birth like a mammal instead of laying eggs. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, that was they really jumped the shark on that one. That doesn't even make biological sense at all. Now that I think about it, man, I thought you, I thought you were going to say that the love story in the alien movies was between Ripley and her cat. I would buy that. She is kind a cat, of a cat. Even in. <laughs> any of the movies except it's in alien one and two i guess maybe yeah yeah my favorite part <laughs> in in alien two uh she uh she has the the little girl 
that she's protecting the whole time. And then in Alien 3, they're just like, oh, that girl died. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, her and the uh, and the love interest, the, the Hicks from Aliens, uh, both just got, like, marked off screen. And then all they had was, like, wasn't it Bishop's head? That was the only survivor, was the robot's uh, head. Yeah. Yeah, that's well. It's like the the top of his torso or something. And oh man, he's, he's bleeding blue goo all over the place. But <laughs> it doesn't seem to be a rush, uh, like a rush job or something. He is an android. I, I always figured they could just put more fluid in him and he'd be fine. Yeah, I just have someone with like an oil can, like in the Wizard of Oz, just like plugged <laughs> up in his neck. <laughs> the Wizard of Oz, interestingly, doesn't have a a love story in it. Like, not even a little bit. Yeah, you know, gosh, that has got to be one of the few films that does not cram in a, a love story. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess it's, you know, her love for uh, her dog. You know, it's like a Paris Hilton kind of deal. <laughs> it's her well, love I had a for proposal the great state for... of Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no joke. I went to uh, a breakfast one time in Kansas, in liberal Kansas, which for some reason has like this big uh, uh, Wizard of Oz museum and stuff. Not and as liberal as you might think. No. And most of the surviving munchkins from the movie oh, were there snap. at the brunch. Um, so I was like a little kid eating brunch surrounded by like all of these actors and actresses uh, who were, you know, they're they're dwarves or i don't even know i don't know actually um but yeah it was it was a very surreal experience that i i just that just now came back to me i think i had repressed that memory uh i think that's a lot to deal with as a nine-year-old i'm just saying (laughs) yeah i think honestly i think uh the going to kansas for breakfast part is definitely that's a long drive for breakfast you got to get up pretty early (laughs) to get out there i remember the brunch being pretty good but the cherry tomatoes were not that great they're always disappointing (laughs) i've never had they probably weren't in season i've never had a cherry tomato that made me go like man i'm so glad that i ate that you gotta grow them yourself (laughs) yeah that's that's good stuff yep well i had one that i wanted to throw into the mix as a just a classic sci-fi love story which of course is between sarah connor and that guy from Terminator One. <laughs> is that was it John Connor Senior? No, what is it? I don't, I don't know. Does he have a name? I can't even remember. I don't remember either. Is it Jason or I don't know Kyle? Kyle something. Man, that guy missed out on some really disappointing sequels. He's really the luckiest character in the Terminator <laughs> franchise. I mean, he dies, so he's about as lucky as most of the people in any Terminator movie. Yeah, if Nick Glessman were here, he was supposed to be here tonight. He would be able to tell us exactly what that character's name was, but... I mean, that's a pretty classic, uh, like, boy meets girl, you know, boy sent back in time by his own son without knowing it, uh, uh, meets girl who ends up having the baby that... Uh, that that's, that's a tale as old as time. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly can remember nothing about the first terminator movie uh except for i think the bathroom scene 
uh, where uh, the Terminator's like digging at his own face. And oh then, yeah, yeah, totally. And then just the uh, uh, the the nude electric explosions. <laughs> that's that's Max love story from yeah the, the first Terminator. Um, like yeah, the first Terminator movie, the the great tale between a nude man exploding in an alley and a robot digging out chunks of his own face for how yeah. share a plot situation. <laughs> That's a so that's a date night movie for you, uh, Liquid Flannel listeners. If you you really want to rekindle that spark in your relationship, watch uh, watch Terminator One. It's beautiful, beautiful love story, a, a beautiful love tale. Well, m- the one that I wanted to talk about, and I don't know if you guys have seen this movie, but uh, I actually do think this is one of the more interesting like love stories in sci-fi, and that's the Spike Jones film Her, where Joaquin Phoenix falls in love with his Siri. Have you guys seen this? No, I I haven't seen it, but I can understand why that would resonate with people because people are super emotionally invested with Siri. Like, to the extent that people were talking about how it was misogyny for people to yell at their Siri... That was... It does does make you feel bad. I have a a hard time doing it. Um... I don't, it doesn't make me feel good to be mean to robots, like, at all. Um, I think the yeah. take was, I think the take was something like, you know, there's a, that uh, old theory that's like, look at how your date treats the wait staff, um, and that's a pretty good insight into into their, their personality, their character. Uh, and this one was like, look at how your boyfriend talks to Siri. Like, if he, abu- if he verbally abuses Siri, he's going to verbally abuse you, which... I don't know. I, there, there might be a little grain of truth to that, but it seems like it seems like I, kind of a reach. I can't. I don't know. All right, I'm, I'm uh, always on the verge of going full tinfoil hat. So, like any like audio search software, like Siri or whatever the fuck the Google one is called that no one cares yeah, about. Yeah. I just immediately turn that stuff off on every device because I'm like, you're not going to catch me, government, and like, right, right. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, it's like me playing a trick, like, gotcha, Uncle Sam, and I turn it off. <laughs> no, I have it all. I mean, I'm 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 all Alexa up. It's great. But yeah, I think this movie, It's a, I think it's actually on Netflix right now, uh, so you could just totally go watch it if you have Netflix. Um, it's a really interesting portrayal. It's a very, um, like, serious look at what it would be like in a future where, you know, your Siri device is so realistic that it is like talking to a person. Um, and it, it, the movie actually does a really interesting thing where, you know, the Siri, you know, they're like, hey, download this upgrade for your device or whatever. And people are like, wow, this is like very realistic. Um, you know, like they've really gotten here. Uh, and it kind of evolves, you know, slowly over time uh, in a very natural seeming way. And yeah, it's a really interesting tale. It, it asks a lot of questions about kind of like, well, what even is a relationship? You know, if you have a long distance relationship with someone, is it really that much different? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it, it's, you know, it's interesting. And I think the technology is absolutely going to be there probably within our lifetimes. Um, our, you know, grandkids will probably buy us one when we're like 65 and just be like, here you go. Like, you could just, uh, you know, talk to that robot if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> They're very popular. <laughs> So yeah, you guys should check it out. It's a it's a really it's a really weird movie. 
and uh, one that is a legitimate sci-fi romance. Part of my part part of my trouble coming up with uh, suggestions for the show was like, what do we even deem sci-fi? You yeah, know, um, I, I that's that's kind of a hard thing to answer, and I don't think we need to go into it at length. But I was thinking of, um, I don't know, like hands Handmaid's Tale, for instance. Like, is that sci-fi? Because it's it has the hallmarks of it. It's, uh, you know, based on something real and it's an extrapolation into the future. Yeah. Something like, um, I was actually thinking about this cause there's this new Netflix show called Russian doll, uh, which is like a, uh, groundhog's day type thing. Okay. Uh, um, Oh shit. No, that was uh, why I was thinking of it was groundhog's yeah. day. Like is groundhog's day a science fiction movie? Uh, because I think Groundhog's Day has a great love story, and it's sort of—I mean, it's it's fantasy sci-fi or something, right? You know, yeah. I mean, I think to be like a sci-fi, like there's not like a sciency thing in Groundhog's. Day. It's like mystical. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, although he is a meteorologist, that is a, <laughs> that is a science. I don't know. Maybe is it more like magical realism? Yeah, exactly. Or like a parable structure where just magical things happen because someone sucks. But then, you know, it is kind of almost the concept of time travel, which historically has been kind of seen as a sci a science fiction, you know, type idea. Sure. So is it is yeah. it the mechanism of the time travel that's really the important part, or is it the conceptual nature of what time travel means? I mean, yeah, living through the, the same day over and over and learning to be a better person. Sure. Man, did either of you guys see that Tom Cruise robot suit alien fighting movie that had a terrible title where it was like Groundhog's Day, but you fight aliens <laughs> no, and you're Tom what? Cruise? <laughs> and, and and I'm assuming that you don't remember the title of it from the way you described it. It was called, the poster said like Live, Die, Repeat. Oh, it was called like Edge of Tomorrow or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah. No, yeah. I remember hearing about it. Yeah. That was, that was a pretty sweet movie. Did Tom Cruise fall in love with himself running? With yeah, him and also uh, I think Emily Blunt is the is the love interest okay. yeah. girl. But yeah, they have like robot mech suits and they fight aliens like a lot, which is pretty, which right, is pretty right. cool. Ah, oh, you remind me of another uh, uh, science fiction movie with with Tom Cruise that does have love in it, though not romantic love, which is um, uh, the the one where he's the future cop guy. Oh, Minority Report. Minority Report, right? Where in that one, he's mourning the loss of a relationship. Um, the, his son died and his marriage broke up, I think. And his his drug of choice is, well, doing drugs, but then just like sitting down and watching old family films. That's bleak. That's, yeah. that's pretty bleak. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know if that one's a, a full-fledged romance, but I do. I always liked how Minority Report almost felt like a like not like an active political critique but like a critique of like the current state of science fiction or just like the current <laughs> state of imagination in general they're like yeah this place is amazing except it's only uh for getting arrested and then uh making sure you get to work on time and that's it <laughs> right yeah yeah the our, our entire vision of the future is like the world revolves around what cops do all the time yeah, and then they're just like having cars that make sure you're never late to work. Always produce, and Tom Cruise will get you. There are psychics. Oh, dude, I, I want a prequel to Minority Report where they just show that the HR department is like, 
You know, if we replace everyone's computers with magic computer gloves, um, everyone will be in amazing shape, and we're actually going to save a lot on our healthcare costs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we need to transition to computer gloves, and everyone has to literally do jumping jacks every time they want to answer yeah, an that's email. True. They're all they're all working at standing desks, and they're all doing basically tie bow the entire time. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, get ready for the office of the future. That's actually the second most nightmarish part of that entire scenario for me now. <laughs> it's like the HR department angle. Because that is. <laughs> it's such a bleak world in society that it's like I'm disappointed there isn't a scene where there's someone's like, someone isn't talking to Tom Cruise and be like, I noticed you've done about 20% less arm waves than last month. <laughs> and we're kind of worried because. You know, it'll bring up everyone else's costs. Uh, so we need you to get the cardiac going when you go to hit someone with the electric puke rod. <laughs> but I mean, the HR department is basically a major character in that movie because, um, you know, Tom Cruise steals the like little bald psychic person. And that's against the HR department's policy, and they get really mad at him about right. it. Uh, so it's a big, it's a big part of that movie for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, HR and marketing in that film, right? Because uh, <laughs> the whole reason they can't have him expose that sometimes the precogs are wrong is because it's going to mess up all of the all of the marketing that they've done for this new service they're going to be offering. <laughs> yeah, it's like the new ring ring doorbell uh, pre crime service or whatever. Right. I like. Oh, I it like was it. so prescient. I like the assumption that we're making that it's not a government agency; that this is just a private firm. Like we're oh, all sure, just taking yeah. the leap of logic. They're like, yeah, that's like oh, that was so definitely like that was like a contract police situation. Yeah, yeah. Dude, libertarian libertarian paradise. So those are all cops for hire. They're they're the Pinkertons. Yeah. You got to put a like, you got to hand him a quarter to, to like hassle somebody on the end of your street. <laughs> Speaking of dystopias, I was uh, I was thinking about the book Snow Crash today, um, which for all of its intentional excesses doesn't really have a love story in it. But there is one really sexy scene between uh, YT, who's the like cool little um, like skater delivery gal. And the like kind of the dragon character, kind of like the the henchman for the big bad, um, this giant dangerous man named Raven, who they end up getting super turned on for each other. And they go back to her little hold in the ship to, to fuck. And she remembers like just a little bit too late that she has a device in her that's like a, a rape preventative, um, which is basically a vagina dentata. It's like a. He gets stuck with a needle that just knocks him out, um, which is hilarious in context because he's already like one of the most dangerous people on the planet. And she's like, oh, shit, I got to go because when he wakes up, he's going to be very upset with me. <laughs> yeah, God, that has to be one of the like few remaining like, um, you know, well-regarded like sci-fi novels that has not been adapted into some sort of movie. No, is there any point. adaptation of that at all? Not to my knowledge. That's crazy. Well, it, it would be incredibly hard to film, right? Because it's such a densely layered, like, future dystopia that he's made. 
Oh, right. Like, I mean, picture... I, didn't, I didn't say that they would try to be faithful to it. They would just slap that name right, on there and be right. like, you know, be like the Matrix 2 or something. I bet you could do it as an anime. Like, get those people who did the yeah. Animatrix um, to, to do it. Because I think that's the amount of detail that yeah. story would deserve. You'd Man. have to tell it over, like, six parts. If you if you want to talk about failed love stories in sci-fi, The Matrix has to be up there. Well, I think that's what we're getting at is like most of the love stories in sci-fi are failures. But yeah, The Matrix is fucking weird. Yeah, that's I can't think of a, a love story more wooden than the love story in the in The Matrix. It's generally <laughs> well, it's the worst part of all of those movies. Part of that, it didn't need it at writing. all. It's so unnecessary. Part of it's the acting, but I agree. Part of it is the way that it's built into the story. Anyone yeah. want to talk about that? Have you? <laughs> <laughs> it's not we're, good. We're just using it as a cultural signifier. Just the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I, I still stand by uh, the first movie as being really great. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there, I, I think. I think the the sort of like visual aspect of that movie and the conceptual aspect definitely were like uh, took way higher priority of any sort of character or dialogue work. Oh, so, for sure. So I think in later movies where they were trying to build on that sort of like character work to like make it to like draw it out, you're just sort of like, oh yeah, there was nothing here. There's nothing to stand on. Yeah, There's I mean, the- even in the first one, it leans really heavily on uh, just, like, make-believe, you know, fairy tale logic. Like, Trinity brings Neo back to life with a kiss. You know, well, he, he's laying in the chair, and he's been shot to death by the agents, and she gives a little speech, and then she kisses him, and, like, everything explodes, and he just comes back to life for some reason. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they don't explain that one. That one's weird. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys seen Cloud Atlas? Which one that's was a, that? That's an amazing film. That's the uh, the Wachowskis made it, um, you know, after The Matrix and Speed Racer. Um, but it is a it is an ambitious, uh, audacious film uh, that spans like centuries uh, and tells like a bunch of different like kind of interrelated stories like over the decades, all kind of intercut together, huh. and each. One is like a different genre of film. Um, so that sounds like it would have been colossally successful at the box office. It was a, a huge failure. It cost a gajillion dollars. <laughs> it's like three and a half hours long. But man, there's nothing else like it. Um, and it definitely is better than the Matrix sequels. I will tell you that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it also has uh, some of the worst. So every time period has the same actors um but some of them take place like in the future in south korea with like tom hanks and hugh grant in like asian makeup (laughs) (laughs) oh no (laughs) and like halle berry it's a it's incredible are they are they resigning their positions uh as lieutenant governor of virginia uh, well over we'll we'll see having worn Um, yellow face jeez yeah. You know, another one that uh, I would ha- I have to mention, which is a, a legit love story and one of my favorite sci-fi love stories is Martin Wall- McFly and his mom. Oh. oh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> is Wally. 
the, again, the love story yeah, yeah, of yeah. robot love. I think we we found my niche. It's robot <laughs> love, everybody. Uh, I'm a, I'm an endless sucker for that movie. It's it's adorable. It's like the cutest movie I've ever seen in my life. It's an amazing cinematic achievement. I think the first like twenty two minutes or something of that movie has zero dialogue in it. Um, you know what an incredible thing to pull off and have it you know be engaging including for children um you know you wouldn't think that it was possible um but yeah they do an amazing job uh of having a movie that talks about like you know environmentalism and things like that in a way that manages not to be like preachy at all um it's quite impressive yeah I'm trying to find a way to frame what it is I really like about Wally, other than it just being cute. But that's all I can focus on. Is it's just I, I'm a I'm pro cute uh, every every stance <laughs> I take. Uh, Mac is now making the oo woo face. I, <laughs> just so you guys know, that whole movie is an oo woo face, and you got there's something <laughs> wrong with you if you can't do the oo woo face with it. It's a big oo woo call and response scheme. Yeah, it even includes Wally, uh, like sparking like a robot uprising for a little bit in there. You know, they're they're hitting all the bases. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, you know, in like uh, the, the I like when the uh, human captain gets involved and hilariously gets his ass kicked by a steering wheel. Uh, that's <laughs> that's high comedy. Yeah, and again, another you know very realistic portrayal i feel like of the of the future of humanity right there um i think i think we're well on our way to to wally world <laughs> you know i can't remember if is I that brought... what we're calling it wally world yeah exactly <laughs> yeah i i can't remember if i brought this up on the show last time or if it was off air but uh uh jg ballard's the drowned world the sci-fi novel uh, okay. is actually takes place in a sort of similar setting of Wally. Like it's a big eco critique and there is a love story in it, except it's super weird. Uh, but essentially the setup is the entire earth is flooded and you have uh, these sort of, uh, science teams that are like deployed to what used to be human cities. Uh, and the fellow you're following around is a biologist and he's actually in a relationship with, like, a rich lady who won't move out of her penthouse that, like, her dad owned. And, uh, and then they both slowly succumb to the, uh, to the prehistoric era that is incumbent on them and sort of, like, uh, time travel through their own spinal column. It's insane. Yes! There's a, <laughs> there's a, a short story that's very similar to that. I want, I want to say it's, like, a Ray Bradbury one where they figured out how to, uh, like, tap time. Uh, as a, and everybody has like, uh, you know, just like you would pay the the gas or electric bill, you have like the time conduit that comes to you, and you can like dabble in, uh, like previous eras, and, uh, eventually there's some industrial disaster where time starts leaking, uh, and so everybody is regressing all at the same period, and like the last couple of lines of the of the story are like. Like just before they've they've gone to like the Neolithic stage, and just before they lose language, somebody grunts something that translates to like, uh, I guess yeah, this this happens like every time, doesn't it? Oh, and I I actually just remembered a a real sort of pseudo sci fi romance, um, and it's by uh, 
director um, uh, Wong Kar Wai. I don't know if you guys are familiar. He was kind he... of a he was kind of a, an art house fave in the '90s, early 2000s. Uh, but his movie 2046 is four different love stories, all with a sort of very distinctly futuristic vibe. It's not expressly sci-fi, but that's his whole vibe is very like. It doesn't. It feels in the future, but you can't really pinpoint where. Yeah, um, actually, almost all of his movies are like that. But twenty forty six. That is actually a really good date night movie, uh, if you and your date are both uh, into sci fi. That sounds solid. A, a bad movie that's still fun to watch and is a good date night movie uh, that just occurred to me is The Fifth Element, which is oh heck yeah. Lo- I mean, is absolutely a love story. Uh, I I will uh, challenge that and say the fifth element is actually good. Uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, I will uh, chew the death. That's a, that's a, yeah, that's that's a brave stance, uh, but I respect it. Um, I'm just saying the movie is kind of a mess cinematically, uh, but very engaging, great characters, and absolutely Bruce Willis and uh, Gauze Strap Girl. I don't remember her name. Oh, Mila Jojovich. M- Mila Jojovich. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, you know what? That's uh, screw the twenty forty six. Just watch Fifth Element instead. <laughs> it's got Chris Tucker in it. It's great. Yeah, that is definitely one of those movies from God. When did that come out? Like ninety nine or something like that. Yeah, something. Um, it's one of those movies where you go back and watch it, and you just go like, I can't believe anybody agreed to do this like that that movie is just absolutely insane and it looked like it cost a shit ton of money well it's because it's, it's by that it's by that french dude who's kind of like an auteur you know for some reason is able to you know command like big sums for the movies he wants. well right to make. it's it's luke basson but he's never made another good movie after that that's the only good movie that he's ever made well i guess the professional but everything else is is just absolute trash I, I I think I'm really partial to Fifth Element, too, because it's the last sci-fi movie I think I ever saw that really was like, no, there's a future and it's different. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I oh, feel that's like, a really good point. I feel like it was the last one I watched where they're like, yes, there's flying cars and like mega cities stacked on each other. And then there's uh, uh, there's actual spaceships and alien races. And you're supposed to believe you can get there. You're, right. <laughs> you're, you're yeah. supposed to believe the Fifth Element is like possible. Like, you, you may actually be able to win a ticket to go on this, like, hyper-cruise, like, around the galaxy, you know, with a bunch of, like, crazy aliens and rich people. Yeah, I feel like that was, like, the... I like I, I really feel like that was the last sci-fi movie I ever saw, like, at the... Around the time that it came out, where it was, like, things are looking up! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could... Jesus, could man, yeah, you just... You just reminded me of the movie Arrival, which does have a love story in it, but... Uh, and without spoiling the story for people who haven't seen it it is it's not what it seems and it is way more fucking depressing than you think it's going to be oh yeah that movie's that's a bummer <laughs> yeah the, that was the um implications of that film are, are horrifying it was it was interesting it was um I, you know i was surprised it was as popular as it did it did very well at the box office it won some oscars but yeah it is definitely like not a feel good type of movie oh no no i think i think the film is great but it is bleak as hell 
Yeah, I recently watched the uh, Natalie Portman movie Annihilation, um, which is a, a similarly uh, themed movie where it is a very bleak portrayal of uh, of the future where no one gets out uh, uh. looking good at the end of it. Um, but it was funny because, you know, Arrival was immensely successful, um, but this movie uh, Annihilation was literally only released in theaters in America and in every other country it went straight to Netflix. <laughs> huh. Which is which is pretty crazy. I feel like we're kind of building a theme here, right? That um I mean between things that both of you have said, uh it seems like science fiction right now is it's very bleak. It's not forward looking. It's, you know, look at the decline of America. Anybody who saw Logan knows that like the future vision in that movie is like America's essentially the same. It's just like a little bit worse and dingier, you know, um, which isn't good for telling love stories. It's, it's hard to uh, like have people find happiness in the midst of, um, you know, such a letdown future, which is yeah. why I wanted to go back to back to the future because back <laughs> to the future is another one that actually does portray, you know, the, the world of 2015 like they had flying cars and like Jaws 14 was out like in full holographic 3D and uh like okay yeah it was made in the 80s so everything was based around consumption but seriously a jacket that adjusts to be a perfect fit on you that's that's a good vision of the future right <laughs> yeah uh i i i was when you brought up the Jaws 15 part i was like oh man they're just it's just like forever the same moment with with different <laughs> right, tweaks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we have now. And, I know. And we don't even have, like, you know, full holographic 3D. It's just that yeah, shitty sh 3D that you get, you know? They're making four more Avatar movies. We actually live in Back to the Future 2 minus the hoverboard. <laughs> well, we don't live in the good Back to the Future part where because we live in the part after biff goes back in time and fucks it up right and turns it into like uh like a where everything's always like totally just like wet and it's always nighttime and there's just yeah there's just lights neon lights everywhere there's just that's piles where, that's where of cigarette live. butts in every corner yeah right um but yeah i mean can you imagine biff cannon is literally the president right now yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh but yeah, could you imagine, you know, back back in the in the heady days of 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 the mid 80s when they were like, yeah, 2015 like, you know, flying cars, um, you know, jetpacks, uh, you know, robots. Like, yeah, of course. You know, right. of course, all of that, you know. Yeah, and sure. now here in real 2015, we're like, hey, it turns out literally everyone involved in the state government of Virginia you know, forgot that blackface and racism were like, we're not hilarious. Like that's, <laughs> that's where we really are. Um, so, you know, we, we haven't come quite as far as, as the hopes and dreams, uh, of time ago. And also the, you know, back to the future, man, it's super depressing because isn't it like further back in time from like us to back to the future to, to like 1985 than it was for, 1985 to go back to the 50s now 
Uh, yeah, that, the math works out totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we 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 done we done messed it all up, y'all. Yikes. Yeah, I recently went back to college, and I can tell you that that math works. <laughs> you know, as, I, I don't as know. As I, I don't, enrolled. I don't know that we can necessarily blame it on the current moment, though, because uh, talking about Back to the Future reminds me of another uh, piece of you know classic science fiction that takes place in the mid '80s, which is 1984, which also definitely has a love story in it, and also is incredibly fucking bleak at the end. I mean, that's 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 a story about how you crush love out of somebody using, you know, futuristic state power. You know, I don't remember that book. I know everyone's supposed to remember it, but I don't remember it. <laughs> you just just put it down the memory hole. Yeah. I, I remember that. I remember that the the mask, the punishment mask, with the, right, with the right. rats in it. Uh, yeah, sure. So yeah, so that's the end of the story, right? That. Uh, Winston and Julia have fallen in love and the state is torturing them and basically they confront both of the individuals with their very worst like hindbrain nightmare um, to get them to like give up on each other and both of them do it um, so then they meet up later and they they have no feelings for each other anymore because they each of them knows that they've betrayed the other uh, it's it's a uh, it's grim. Ugh. Way to, way to kill love, George. Well, no, I, I think we can probably, uh, we can probably come up with with a couple of good examples to. Uh, we're we're going on here. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll just try to like take it out on a high note. Think think of a happy one. There got to be some out there. We could talk about depressing, you know, sci-fi stories all day long. Uh, but it's time to bring it out on a high note. Fixation 
Keeping with the Valentine's Day theme, my high note for this week is this. Uh, there's a zoo in El Paso who, for Valentine's Day, will let you... I think you have to make a donation to the zoo, and they name a cockroach after your ex. And then they feed the cockroach to a mongoose, who apparently are into eating cockroaches. I don't know. Oh, yes. Anyway, I think it's hilarious. A great little promotion for the zoo. Says some weird things about other people's relationships, I guess. I don't have too many exes that I would want to name a bug after and then have them fed to a mongoose, but... Yeah, I... I don't know. I... Who is that for? Sometimes you just feel better. You know, it's like a voodoo doll or something. Sometimes you just gotta, you know, let your feelings out and you can then you can move on. You know, you just gotta say, hey, right, I fed yeah. that cockroach to a meerkat and now <laughs> I can finally have closure in my life. Yeah, it's sort of the, uh animal rights version well it wouldn't be animal <laughs> rights what it, they care about cockroaches too it, it's sort of the conservationist version of like burning your ex's stuff in effigy like on your front lawn or whatever yeah yeah i honestly i i can't imagine having a relationship where i'd actually want to pay money to have this done but hey if it raises money for the zoo i'm in yeah i'm definitely for that i'm for raising money for for all the zoos i love our local zoo in kansas city it's a good time it's too hot, though, it's, but it's, it's a good pretty time. good. It's a pretty good zoo. The Omaha Zoo, it's pretty choice. Omaha Zoo consistently ranked as probably the best zoo in the world. That's as close as you can get. You can say, like, probably the best zoo in the world. It's up there. Yeah, uh, I've. It's, it's only a few hours from Kansas City, so it's kind of, like, a pretty common thing for people to do is to drive up to Omaha to go check out the zoo mm-hmm. up there. I've always wanted to go to King Kong Burger. Which was right across the street from it, but it never happened. Not gyros, gyros, gamma epsilon R O S. Matt, have you did, have you hit the King Kong Burger? I literally have not. I always drive by. And I'm like, I should go there. I bet it's really oh, good. Oh, it's great. And I just have never. They gone. make a good gyro, but do not mispronounce it because they had a local commercial calling you out for doing exactly that thing. Yeah, it's like a Five Guys or something, but they also serve gyros. Yeah. And it confused uh, white Midwesterners no, for a long time. It's solid. Uh, old old guest and friend of the show, Andrew Cumbie, is a huge fan of uh, King Kong Burger. I don't know if he eats the burgers or the or the gyros. I've always wanted to go anytime I've gone up to the Omaha Zoo, uh, but it was just never fated to be. I just I love the 
any business that's like so into their own like that's so dedicated to the bit that they put like the inflatable gorilla on top of the place like i'm in oh it's hilarious. yeah you win me yeah. over it's it's obviously like an old uh like recommissioned hong kong buffet or something the the building does not match the, <laughs> the, the image that they're trying to project well open invite anytime you're up in omaha i'll take you to the zoo the zoo is in omaha the be- the worst part about it is that it costs like a crap ton of money now sure. it's like it's getting theme parky up there like it's crazy but we always get the pass just because it's in town so we go you know all the time when it's nice did they finish that elephant enclosure oh hell yeah it's amazing over there uh they have like a herd of like eight to ten elephants or something like that 14 acres of land or whatever that they can roam around on and there's other animals kind of in there with them um and then there's like giraffes and rhinos and ostriches like on the other side in the savannah area they're actually doing a new um himalayans themed area now that they're kind of working on uh, and they're going to, like, move the tigers there. They have those freaking deer with fangs that have, like, vampire fangs. Oh, yeah. Like, from, like, planet Earth and stuff. <laughs> was it, like, the Crazy. springbok or something like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely nuts. I was like, I can't believe that I get to see this thing for real. Like, when I saw that on planet Earth, I was like, this is a prank. Like, they're going <laughs> like, to pull back and be like, look at how dumb you are. <laughs> that you believe like that, that a deer can have giant vampire fangs. Yeah. It looks cartoonishly ridiculous. I was really hoping that the Henry Dorley would acquire the, the Rosenblatt Stadium. Uh, and just turn it into a gigantic monkey house or like, you know, well, all arboreal yeah. mammals and stuff. They did buy the Rosenblatt Stadium and they turned it into a parking lot with the infield in the middle of it as like a little park where I guess you could like sit and eat lunch or something if it wasn't 95 degrees outside. <laughs> <laughs> right, and there are no trees because it's a fucking baseball infield. <laughs> Correct. It was it was really stupid. Sounds refreshing. My high note is one that I just find personally funny. I get the uh, Kansas City Star update to my email every morning. So I see like what's it's local news. So it's mostly just like murder, 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 (laughs) Uh, sports, sports, sports. sports. Yeah. Huge boost in uh, Punisher skull decals on Ford (laughs) F-150s sales report. Uh, one that came across my my little email thing: the Kansas City Chiefs owe like a million dollars in back taxes off of stuff they bought with renovation well, money. Who doesn't owe a million dollars in back taxes? Well, Come you on. know the the NFL and uh, local sports teams are all tax subsidized locally, so it's like it's like oh you know uh, you figured they they would use use it on something else. So they got flagged for buying a bunch of stuff without applying tail, sales tax to it. And let let me find the paragraph here. They got uh, leotards for the cheerleaders, autographed footballs, a framed jersey of Buffalo Bills Hall of Fame running back Thurman Thomas, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, including like weight equipment. Uh, once again, folks, the NFL is running a big old scam. I honestly didn't, when I was reading over this article, it didn't, I didn't realize that the Thurman Thomas thing was a real thing, but Jesus Christ, saying it out loud is so insane. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, isn't the NFL like a freaking, like, not-for-profit, like, tax-exempt entity or something like that, legally? Yes. Itself? I Which mean, the like, NFL what? might be, but it wouldn't be the it wouldn't be the individual teams because those are all privately held. Oh, they forgot about that loophole. They didn't get that one in yet. 
we are not the show that you want to go to for uh, for sports wisdom, but um, isn't there? There's an interesting arrangement with the Green Bay Packers. I think only the only shareholders are like members or are, are people who live in uh, Green Bay. I think that's right. Maybe they get away. And with like it. your season ticket comes with like ownership shares in it as like a private shareholder type thing or whatever. It's like, it's not a public shareholder thing. It's a private shareholder thing. Italian soccer team AS Roma is publicly traded. So like when we log off of this cast, you can buy shares and you can be one of the owners (laughs) of AS Roma. So take that Green Bay. I can't own you from here, but I can own AS Roma. I can have a little piece of Francesco Totti. He can be mine. Why are we not doing that here in the States, man? Like you should be able to just be Give me twenty shares of the Cowboys tonight. You know, I'm all in. Uh, it's 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 too cold currently in Green Bay for anybody to actually be getting electricity. So I'm, I'm going to assume that they're not going to hear us slandering their town that way. I would never slander the people of Green Bay. Is it actually called Green Bay? Is that a real place? I think so. Green Bay, Wisconsin. No <laughs> shit. I thought that was just like a sports thing. Wow. It's like- <laughs> It's going to be even more embarrassing when that that team eventually, like, inevitably gets purchased by some investors in some other state. The Lakers moved from, you know, Lake Country to L.A., where, you know, they, they don't have any open water at all. But, like, Green Bay is actually named after the place... <laughs> that it comes from. Green Bay is not by anything. It's in the middle of fucking nowhere. This shit makes no sense. Yeah. What is happening? There, there's no Green Bay there. I thought it was like close to Milwaukee or something, but it's like hours away. Well, maybe it was like the original settlers showed up and it was a. It was probably like a like open pasture or something. It was like, oh, it was like a perfect big Green yeah, Bay uh, for us to settle in. I like that because it's, it's like a micro-protectionist economy. Yeah. Yeah, there's like uh, football tariffs. If you bring in like a football from Kansas City, like on, <laughs> they're like, I'm sorry, that's $20. Going through trade customs at the border of of Wisconsin. Yeah, Yeah, like at Green Bay. Like to get into the stadium, you have to go through like uh, customs. What do they call those? There's like the tax-free purchasing era. There's the duty-free era. No outside goods. (laughs) It's like they've declared themselves like a separate state, divided themselves from the union. This here's football country. (laughs) (laughs) Your laws are meaningless. Pictures of Brett Favre on on, like all of their bills. (laughs) Pass them out. Yeah, there's there's probably a big libertarian uh, contingent that's doing that out there for for sure. Football company script. (laughs) (laughs) It's the company town. I mean, that is that is the weirdest thing about sports, though, too, is that you're like, when your allegiance is to a team like Green Bay, Wisconsin, you know, what is your allegiance to, right? Is it is it the town? Is it like, what is it? The people come and go, you know, the NFL's trading people sure. back and forth or whatever. You get no say in it. Sometimes it doesn't even make sense. It's such a weird, strange concept that I think just uh, proves that all humans are completely irrational and incapable of making good decisions about anything. I think it's actually a psyop to prep people for being like localist or nationalist to get them to adhere, give their their loyalty and their their fandom to a completely arbitrary uh, like regional signifier. It makes for fertile ground when later you want to say like, well, also maybe. Uh, we should shut down the borders and like build a wall. Yeah, we should definitely build a wall around Green Bay. <laughs> Before the football breaks loose, takes it over with its league parody socialism. <laughs> that will never be in this country. I cannot believe this. 
But yeah, so my high note this week, speaking of football country, back here in Nebraska, we're about to get put on the map again. You know, what are Nebraska's like media highlights? There was that one movie with uh, that like black and white movie with Will Forte. Yeah. There was the movie Election. Uh, of course, Election. Everybody loves Election. Mac, have you ever seen that that Reese Witherspoon yeah. masterpiece? Uh, election is great. That that was filmed at our high school. We know like half of the extras in that movie. They're all our <laughs> high school classmates uh, who were in drama club with us. Congrats to your drama club friends. That was a long time ago. But finally, someone other than Alexander Payne might do a thing in Nebraska. So NBC and... ABC are both set to air series that are set in Omaha. <laughs> NBC has a show from Amber Ruffin, who works for um, the like Seth Meyers show as a writer, and she's from Omaha. And her show is apparently going to be about some like she moves back to town and is like, I'm going to like start a local newspaper, investigate the town and like ruffle some feathers and, you know, lead to hilarity and awkwardness. And then another one about a couple from New York City who inherits a Nebraska farm and has to, like, adjust to big city life to country living. Green Acres? <laughs> Starring Dax Shepard. <laughs> yeah, I can't see either of these ending up playing into the tropes of people in the Midwest being dumbass yokels who, you know, get stopped by cows uh, on their way to school or whatever. Being set in a Midwestern city is... 100 percent they're they're just stealing on our good name because they just film everything in la right, and it all yeah. looks the same yeah that is the trope though right you know everything was set in new york or seattle or chicago to all of a sudden everything's in these like small towns you know uh, the office takes place in scranton pennsylvania which nobody's ever been to i'm not sure it's a real place it's just a continuation of that that whole trope that like the big city isn't where it's at like if you really want to learn how to live and love and find your true values or whatever you have to go to real america you gotta go to real america where uh there's a lots of parking lot arguments where people are throwing cans of monster energy drink at each other <laughs> right yeah <laughs> thinking about stuff being set in like the midwest or like ex-urban america i just think like where are you gonna find that many like 80s model Honda Accords with two different colored doors. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? And that's the funny thing. So there's a show that me and my wife watched. It's set in Kansas City. Ooh, uh, and the guy, the dad is like, I'm an ex-Royals player. But it is so clearly filmed in the LA area that it is just laughable. They don't <laughs> even, you know, they name drop Kansas City like twice a season. But then they're literally, like, they're going around neighborhoods that are, like, stucco. <laughs> right, yeah. It's, it's all xeriscaped out front. <laughs> right. right. At the high school, there's, like, open-air outdoor lockers and stuff like that. You know, like you would have in, in Kansas City. Yeah, definitely. The Hollywood sign appears every once in a while, like, in a panning Yeah, shot. you would definitely have the outdoor lockers <laughs> in a place where it can go from negative two degrees to 70 degrees in a 24-hour period. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, here, here's an ex-Royals player thing. So I used to work at this bar, right? And uh, George Brett was a regular there. And I didn't realize this, but when I was working there, I was pretty new to the place. We, I get, we stopped carrying Coors Light, which he had like a deal with. And so it's like he only drank Coors Light. 
Uh, so George Brett comes in. Contractual obligation. I don't know what it is, man. He's just he's just a he's just a terrible old man, and uh, so he's just like he probably just said some businessman bullshit to me because he thought I would like buy it, but he was really just a shitty old dude. Oh yeah, we don't have Coors Light. I have Miller Light. He blows up. He like starts screaming at me from behind the bar, and he's like there with his friends, and he's gonna like pay for him because he's like George Brett, right? <laughs> and uh, he just starts screaming at me. He's like, what do you mean you don't have Coors Light? What the hell else am I supposed to drink? Just a real red-faced Midwestern <laughs> old man fit. I'm sure you've seen plenty of them. Oh, sure. <laughs> like, I'm minorly inconvenienced. I'm going <laughs> right, to shit my pants. Right. The spittle um, is flying. Like, his, yeah, his polo uh, shirt has binge. come untucked from his big belt. Before that, I worked in, like, nightclubs and dive bars. So it's like I wasn't, like, people yelling at me and throwing things at me. I'm like, well, whatever. It's a... It's a living, like a Flintstones <laughs> bird. He stops in the middle of it, and he's just still red, and he's sweating because he's been drinking all day, obviously. And he's like, he's like, listen here, you. And he starts calling me a bunch of like homophobic slurs, like screaming it in this <laughs> restaurant. And then he's like, I'm gonna headbutt you, you fancy boy. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, and then he like slaves his fist on the counter, and I'm like, George Brett, you gotta go. <laughs> right. <laughs> George Brett, you you need to leave. Did you have any idea who he was at the time or was that Oh yeah, he came in and everyone's like, That's okay. George Brett. That's George Brett. Okay. That's George Brett. You know, so like I I knew I just didn't care. Like he won the World Series like the year I was I was one year old when he won the World Series. I didn't care what he did. Yeah, I was like, For George Brett, you gotta go. And uh he was like, To hell with you, I'll take I'm, I'm gonna take this place down with me. So he was, like, <laughs> threatening to buy and sell the place. Search charging around the place like juggernaut, like knocking pillars out. If if the ex, if the retired Royals player on the show you're watching was a nice guy, I already don't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that story is. Well, George Brad, if you want to uh, get the last word in, make sure to contact us. Yeah, if you guys want to bleep out his name so you don't, like, get a lawsuit or anything, <laughs> that's fine. I'm pretty sure I said his name, like, ten I'm times. I'm not worried. I thought for sure you were going to say that he was like, don't you know who I am? And you're going to be like, I literally <laughs> no have no idea. idea. No, no, because no, like, there's like, <laughs> Could not this, care was, less. this was before the, the funny guys that were uh, in the Judd Apatow movies who were from Kansas City came up. So he was like the only other famous person from here that wasn't dead. Because it's like, <laughs> it's like Mark Twain, Charlie Parker, Count Basie, and then George Brett. And that's it. Those were the four until the Judd Apatow guys. Whenever someone who's mildly famous from Kansas City came in, you got to be like, let's roll out the red carpet. People who aren't from here like this guy. Make sure that we have at least one pouch of big league chew like on hand <laughs> at all times. Actually, you know, what? is that something that happens uh, where you guys are from? Like where like there's like a mild celebrity and uh, ever like everyone's just got to like, you got to up town, man. You got to up the town. I know he's famous for uh, uh, robbing a bank and then driving his car off of a cliff. Cliff, but you gotta <laughs> well see yeah in omaha we don't really have that many like omaha celebrities so if a celebrity's ever in town you know if they're filming an alexander payne movie or something like that people do definitely you know pay attention to be like oh look matt damon went to a hotel did you guys see this but then we also have warren buffett who is like the super rich dude who gets off on like eating at dairy queen and mcdonald's <laughs> with like bill gates and mark cuban so just ultra rich celebrity stuff. 
he doesn't yeah he doesn't want you to make a big deal of out of him because you know he he thinks it's cool to just be like yo just chilling at the dairy queen right. with mark cuban <laughs> like you like you do uh selfies please uh let's do this so it's a different vibe when i worked at the restaurant it's only just a couple of blocks away from cowboys stadium and also like rangers stadium ton of like big venues right around here so um, every once in a while, someone would come back and be like, Trey McLaroo is sitting at the bar. Can you believe it? And I'm, I have no fucking clue what country singer you're talking about. Like, <laughs> is, that, is that a real person? Like, apparently there's somebody famous in the restaurant whom I have never heard of and would not be able to pick out of a lineup. Oh, yeah. If a famous country singer came up to me, I would I would know. I would know who it was. They could be well, they could be the highest selling artist in the world that I still wouldn't know because of the genre. <laughs> So tying up uh, Brendan's story about, um, you know, Omaha media, uh, when we were in high school, they they filmed election at our high school. And at one point, uh, a gal that we were friends with was walking across the gym and this little blonde comes up to her and says, uh, do you know the way to the cafeteria? And trying to be helpful, our friend says, oh, are you new here? And she immediately like snaps into like offended mode and goes, um, I'm Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> and our friend is like, oh, okay. And just walks away from the situation. Yeah, no, no idea who who that is. Oh, it was a it was a fun time, for sure. We should probably wrap up right there. What do you think, Brennan? Absolutely. Relive the glory days of election with us uh, on Twitter. Mac, thank you for sharing in the revelry of depressing sci-fi and romance. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming back, man. It was a it was a real uplifting episode. You know, I try. <laughs> I felt the love. I felt the love. Sometimes too. you need a good cry on Valentine's Day, you know. <laughs> yeah, I plan to. It's on a Thursday. Yeah, I'm gonna pencil. Uh, I'm gonna get out my calendar and write cry. <laughs> Thursday the 14th. Well, in between crying, where can people find your work online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at In Car Country, uh, which is also the name of my website, where I put up some of my quick poems. You can also find some of my poetry work at like a Protean magazine uh, where I've uh, published in the uh, recently uh, last decade climate change zine. So you can check that out there as well. Oh, nice. Stick it with the uplifting theme. <laughs> I've been in a really positive headspace lately. <laughs> as have we all. And you would know that if you were following the show on Twitter at liquid underscore flannel. Uh, we're, we're nothing but positivity. Just success win memes all the time. <laughs> it's on the up and up. As is my personal uh, Twitter account. I'm Matthew Hodges. I'm on Twitter at Matt the Great with a W. And Brendan, you actually are a lot more positive than I am on oh, Twitter. Oh, that's, uh, that's a low bar. Uh, I'm at Brendan Williams with one L. High five for Valentine's Day, guys. We did it. We'll be sending out a bouquet of 84,000 roses to every single one of our listeners. Be on the lookout for that. Straight to Tulsi Gabbard. Fighting the good fight out there. <laughs> <laughs>